evening, friends, and welcome to tonight's episode of Grave History, a Macabre History podcast. I'm Teddy. I'm Katrina. And we are your hosts. Mm. And tonight, Katrina is topping again. It me. It you. I'm, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, good. I'm glad. Do you? So, how much? How much do you know about what we're going to be talking about? Um, I know a little bit, mostly okay. because I went to see. Um, I don't know if you've seen it advertised because it was in London, but they did a, uh, like Jack the Ripper opera. I heard about it. I did not see mm. it, which is a shame because it would have been very useful for because that's kind of ended up being my academic field. Um, <laughs> well, it would have been more more useful for this episode than studying Jack the Ripper because it was sold as kind of we're telling a story of these ladies and then they like made up stories where Mary Kelly had a daughter who was being sold into sex work or something uh, yeah that does sound a lot closer to what we're yeah. gonna be I, have, I haven't really introduced what we're gonna be talking about no, now have I? I spoiled so, it <gasps> I spoiled it so oh sorry. no what we're gonna be talking about is actually it's kind of a prequel to Jack the Ripper in a way mm. It's like, if this was The Godfather 2, it would be the bits with Robert De Niro. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. I was thinking of the classiest prequel I could. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of a prequel to Jack the Ripper. It's also kind of um, related to another topic I'm hoping to cover, which is basically uh, sort of like outrage media in Britain. Mm. Um, that I, I'd like to look at some fictional stuff a bit later on, like Penny Dreadfuls Ooh. and Video Nasties. Yeah. This, yes, exactly. But this one is um, based on reality rather than on you know stories that people got angry because mm. they thought they were corrupting the youth or whatever. Um, so yeah. So this is kind of a companion piece to other stuff I'm hoping to cover. Mm. Um, what I'm going to be talking about today is. Um, one of the first instances of investigative journalism, mm. and one hell of a story to lift papers off of shelves. It's the it's called the Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon. I mean, that's a hell of a title. It's a hell of a title, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's a story of sleaze, Ooh, outrage, dirt, <laughs> and ultimately, <laughs> and ultimately led to the eighteen eighty five Criminal Law Amendment Act which was created to protect women by raising the age of consent from 13 to 16 well, and also cracking down on brothels and solicitation. Well, they did great. They did a great... <laughs> it definitely did something. We're yeah. going to look a bit later on about how effective that was and how much it really benefited people. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's, in, it's an example of um, something called government by journalism, oh, okay. um, which is exactly what it sounds like. It basically means journalism is allowed to dictate what the government does, Yeah. Um, which is something we, we see more of nowadays, I think. Yeah, I think because yeah. of the, there's much more kind of freedom of information. Yes, yes. Um, and pe- people are... Yeah, first of all, it's a, it's a lot easier to get information out yeah. there nowadays, and people are a lot more willing to be rude to politicians, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they deserve it. Quite most of the time they deserve mm. it. Just look at who's our Prime Minister. Oh, Jesus Christ, I forgot about that until you brought it up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so sorry. That happened today. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I'm, da- I'm dating uh, again. No! Sorry, whatever, I yeah. don't care, I'm, I'm too sad. It's um, 32 so... degrees and Boris Johnson is Prime Minister. And then Britain descended into the hell mouth, never to be seen again. 
I can't wait for Chuck Tingle's take on this personally. Oh, same. <laughs> I really. I'm excited. Um. So um. The so government by journalism. Um. The term is cr- is credited to um. Kind of our main character tonight, whose name is W. T. Stead. I'll give you a bit more information on him later. Um, okay. It was also credited to poet um, and critic Matthew Arnold, mm. who uh, was actually staunchly opposed to W. T. Stead's uh, what he called muckraking. Muckraking, rather. Oh. He writing in eighteen eighty four, so before the uh, Maiden tribute happened, that under yeah. Stead's management, the Pall Mall Gazette, which was the paper he oversaw, was steadily ceasing mm. to be literature. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so uh, the Pall Mall Gazette, by the way, it uh, was an evening newspaper founded in London in 1865, uh, named mm-hmm. after a fictional paper in W.M. Thackeray's novel The History of Pendennis. Uh, it was named after Pall Mall, where a number of gentlemen's clubs were located. Oh. And it, I don't mean that euphemistically, I mean it in the, I mean it in the Victorian sense, which is... Oh, uh, fair. Yeah. Okay. Gentlemen's <laughs> Club. Which is I've been watching a lot of the like the 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 nineteen eighties Sherlock Holmes TV series recently. Ah, oh, the good one. one. The good one. I was about to say the good one. <laughs> um, and my I think gentlemen's clubs are my favorite thing because that's yeah. like old fashioned terms like I'm gonna do absolutely fuck all today, but make it sound respectable. I'm <laughs> going to my club. It's like explorers um, clubs. Yeah, where they just sit and do fuck all. At least at some point they went exploring. Most of these seem yeah. kind of... Um, it, that that was based... It, it was a man cave. It was an old-timey man cave based on the... <laughs> oh, God, it was! Based on... Because we're going to talk about gender roles a bit today. Um, but yeah. it was based on Victorian separate sphere philosophy, which mm. was that men and women naturally occupied separate spheres. Men were... You know, they did work and intellectual stuff, and mm. women were... In the home, basically, and this was true yeah, across being stupid, yeah, being dumb, having kids, uh, and this was the same across <laughs> across all classes. Actually, the men would go because if if you were, you know, working class, you'd be more likely to be out the pub, um, but women would still, yeah. you know, be in the home t- uh, taking care of in stuff. the one room in their one room with their fourteen children. Oh God, <laughs> sounds yeah. like hell. <laughs> it really does. That's not the Even case all the time, than... obviously. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah, um, oh yeah. Uh, so it was a conservative newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1921, it merged with the Globe, and in 1923, was absorbed by the Evening Standard. Ah, I was going to say it sounded like the Evening Standard. And that's what it is now. Um, huh. Y- yes. Um, now, W.T. said edited the paper from 1883 to 1889. Mm-hmm. Uh, the owner of the paper at the time, whose name was H. Thompson, wanted the paper to support the Liberal Party. Um, right. As opposed to the Conservative Party, who are different from the Liberal Democrats. The Liberal Party doesn't exist anymore. They kind of were replaced by Labour. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, so it, it's a party that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, because that was before the Liberal Democrats, as we know them, existed, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Old uh, old school Liberals. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, that was the environment Stead is writing under. Um, he wants to move the paper in the direction of supporting social reform and welfare. Oh. Yes. Very un-Tory. Yeah. Social reform was huge at that time. Yeah. Um, I can't talk about all of it here, but social reformers, um, they're fascinating. There's, there were lots. There were a lot of women social reformers, uh, a couple mm. of whom I'll talk about later. But yeah, reforming um, basically meant trying to 
make things better in a positive way so not just saying we need to chuck people in in the workhouse saying no we yeah. need to i mean the worst reformers were about that but you know um we need to make the prison system better we need to you know try and provide mm. for the sick um so there was a yeah. lot of <laughs> lot of reform going on um okay and it was hoped that the maiden tribute was going to contribute to that uh now the tribute identified five social evils that needed to be dealt with uh, mm. These these were the sale and purchase and violation of children. Okay. Sorry, we're leaping right in there. Yeah. The procuration of virgins, the <laughs> entrapping and ruin of women. Ah, yes. The international slave trade in girls. Mm-hmm. And number five, atrocities, brutalities, and unnatural crimes. So Homosexuality. Well, yeah, we will talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, now's as good a time as any to give a wee bit of a trigger warning for this episode. Mm. Um, we're gonna talk a lot. It's we're gonna talk a lot about prostitution. That is the mm. crux of this uh, Victorian sex work. We're um, and yeah, we um, I'm using the term prostitution. Uh, I'm a I'm gonna say sex work or sex worker. Wherever I can, because mm-hmm. that's a better term, uh, yeah. more suited to, to our modern sensibilities. Um, I have used words prostitution and prostitute, uh, not to refer to specific individuals, but to uh, more in a historical context. Mm. Yeah. Um, and also to refer specifically to the act of performing uh, sex in exchange for money, because sex work is kind of an umbrella term, which means a bunch of different things. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, just, uh, I'm going to use those words, uh, also going to talk about rape and in the second half in particular, we're going to discuss the rape of children. Great. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. It's Um, a beautiful day. (laughs) It is a beautiful day. I thought it was bad now. No, it's cool. Uh, We're not, it's not going to be detailed. Not going to go into any detail. Uh, we're more just going to. Mentioned that it happened yeah. and that that's what this case was about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there won't be any explicit detail or anything like that. Nope. Um, I'm also going to talk about pornography a little bit. So again, okay. not really in detail per se, but yeah, just so if 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 anything like that is, mm. it's there in passing. Yes, yes, yes. So um, yeah, if you're uncomfortable with that kind of thing, then by all means, do not listen. <laughs> yeah, come back next week um, when I talk about gays. Yay. Yes. Yes, yes, that'll be good. Well, we're going to talk about gays a little bit. Woo! Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, So first of all, I'd like to start off with some context. Um, Okay. I'd like to talk about London, women, girls, and working life in the sweet, sweet year of our Lord, 1885. (laughs) A great great vintage. You're welcome. (laughs) A fine vintage. A fine vintage, aged in oaken barrels. (laughs) (laughs) Because... 1885 is the year that this happened. Um, mm. The Maiden Tribute, a newspaper report published by W.T. St- w. Stead in the Pall Mall Gazette, um, published in July of 1885. So, yeah, pretty much exactly. It's July right now. Ah. If I could be bothered doing the maths, then let's say 134 years ago. Yeah, that sounds I right. I think that's right. I think that's right. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, I I got a C in maths, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I got. I don't think I did very well. I couldn't even. I couldn't even read the number they gave me. We're so smart. I'm smart. I'm a smart person. <laughs> anyway. I'm a tears. Give me um, historical context, damn it. 
Here's some historical context. So, um, it goes without saying this was not an easy time to be a lady. Yeah. Um, Is any? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's redundant, maybe, to say that, but, you know, damn it, I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, But I'm largely going to skip over the plight of aristocratic noble women. Yeah. um, Because they are sort of the least relevant to this Mm -hmm. tale. Um, suffice to say, they, they had little rights. They lived most comfortably of all women. Mm-hmm. Um, they could own property, although there were inheritance laws, which were, yeah, and a lot of people preferred to have a male heir anyway because yeah. of lineage or whatever. But Pure uh, they, misogyny. Misogyny, yeah. But um, but they could eat regularly. They could afford yeah. medicine, and they didn't mm-hmm. need to perform manual labor. Um, so you know, Ooh. it was probably the best deal you could get as a woman. Yeah. Um. For, for middle class women, life could be a lot less certain, depending on financial circumstances. Uh, mm-hmm. Lower middle class women lived in a rather precarious social position, and one which could lead to what was termed genteel poverty. Oh. Which is what I... Th- th- I think that's how I live. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> women were financially dependent on men, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it was also possible, um, and I read a couple of cases of this, for a woman to be widowed and then discover like her husband's finances were in a shambles and he wasn't who he says he was when the creditors oh. came knocking on the door. Oh gosh. Yeah, so you could you could have you could suddenly have three kids and no money. Oh no. Yeah. That's that's uh, awful, Jesus. It is awful. Um, wow. there were only a handful of jobs for if this class of woman, uh, yeah. and this is called skilled labour, skilled domestic labour. governess? That's one of them, one of those old-timey mm-hmm. jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. also teaching, bookkeeping were the other two, but yeah, governess was a pretty major one. Um, yeah. but gov- being a governess was actually paid very poorly, mm-hmm. um, and it was also a pretty, uh, shitty situation to be in because... Yeah. You were in a kind of like no man's land in terms of your social status because you were oh, you, you yeah. were considered above the the household servants, but you were also not mm. part of the family. So you were yeah. kind of in your in your own little bubble. And if gothic horror has taught me anything, <laughs> it's that you have to sleep with the man of the house if you're a governess. Is he hot? I don't know. He might be Toby Stevens playing Mr. Rochester, in which case, yes. That's acceptable. I'll allow that. <laughs> the long beat of silence made me so nervous. I don't recall his... Perf- I'm trying to remember that. Was that the one with Ruth Wilson? Yeah. I've- yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. fine. Better he was than okay. Michael Fassbender. I think Michael Fassbender's hotter. <gasps> Sorry. Shocking. Shocking. How could you? I'm shocked. <laughs> what? Shocked. This... <laughs> Please return to the historical context. I'm Into sorry. me no further. We're exposing things about ourselves here today <laughs> now, aren't we? Um, well, someone is. <laughs> um, we were talking earlier about which of the characters in Cats we found hottest. So yeah. <laughs> this is not the could, depths of our we depravity. Could, we could have recorded that. <laughs> we could have. We could have recorded we that. We could have recorded Sign that. Sign up to our Patreon to find out which one we think is hottest. Mistopheles. You thought it was Mistopheles. Yeah. You didn't say, which was wise. <laughs> no, I'm pl- I'm playing my cards <laughs> close to my chest. <laughs> was it Bombalarina? I'm on to you. Uh, it wasn't, but actually that's a pretty good candidate, apart from when she's yeah. been played by Taylor Swift. 
What? <laughs> you brought the curse into cat the titties. episode. Cat titties. <laughs> cat titties. Okay. Um, cat titties aside. <laughs> if... <laughs> Oh, the phrases I never thought the phrase cat titties? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not the rump, the, what was it? The flap, the thing, what? and the rump. The rump, the flap, and the thing. From, uh, I, uh, I don't British think that, UFOs. I don't think that was it, but sure. <laughs> it was the flap I know and the rump thing, and but flap the, what was, was the it? other one? I can't remember. Mr. No, you actually, actually you, you're correct. You're completely yeah. correct. You've probably listened to that more than me because of editing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think I have any silly names for you this time, so I'm really smug about that. Oh. <laughs> um, where the hell am I? All right. <laughs> Being a governess. Yes. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, you couldn't really complain about anything if you were a governess, if you wanted to keep Great. your job. And you could become kind of a scapegoat in the household for both the family and the servants to blame. Oh, great. Uh, it's even worse, um, and we're gonna... Things are gonna get a bit unpleasant from here on out, from this sentence mm. onwards. Uh, okay. her, her close proximity to the family and to other servants left her easy sexual prey for the gentlemen of the home. Oh, uh, so my joke earlier was in bad taste. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Are you great. shamed? Do you feel bad? Yes, I feel um, disgusting. <laughs> I'm cancelling myself. But, yeah, you're... <laughs> I mean, we're all going to get cancelled sooner or later, so you might as well just yeah. do it sooner. Uh, I, can't, yeah. I can't wait to be cancelled. I can finally sleep at night. <laughs> feel so relaxed. Um, yeah. But yeah, if she succumbed to this or refused and like incurred the the wrath of her accoster um, or was mm. forced upon, um, it would reflect badly on her and she could be fired without reference. Oh, great. Again, depending on the depending on the family, but, you know, they had a reputation to uphold, so... yeah. May or may not. It it yeah, wasn't pleasant. Uh, but for working, it's unclear. Yes, it's unclear. But for working class women, it was even worse. Obviously, um, of course. The eighteen thirty four poor reform law had the effect of what is being called feminizing poverty. Um, it basically right. removed all legal means uh, for unwed women. Um, so there was oh, yeah great. yeah there was no recourse on a broken engagement after consummation or rape or extortion, that kind of thing. Um, mm. Whilst men could not be legally responsible for illegitimate children. Um, mm. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about mm. how sexuality was, female sexuality was seen met then in a second. Yeah. Um, but labour-wise, um, women could perform unskilled domestic labour, i.e. being a maid, mm. ladies' maid, yeah. scullery maid, kitchen maid, housekeeper, which was also quite poorly paid, again, depending on the household, mm. and was long hours... Seven day work week, maybe get a half day off on Sunday if you're lucky, but you probably had to go to church, so. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and also you really had to know your place. Um, mm. And again, sexual assault is still a threat. Um, yep. Yeah, and you could get fired for pretty much any reason fraternising with the other servants, breaking dishes, missing silverware, missing anything from her mm. ladyship's round, r- room, or she might even be jealous of you and want you dismissed. Great. And again, you could be fired without reference. Cool. And the Thanks, o- I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> other unskilled labour was available. Um, mm. For women, this was most commonly factory work or being a seamstress. Oh, and factory work, you could get degloved or get your hair ripped out. Or yeah. Fuck knows what. Totally. I mean, it depends on 
what kind of factory work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so injury, that's a good injury and illness from factory work, you know, like um, various sicknesses you could get from, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my brain went black lung, but you can't get black lung from working in a factory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, you um, can get, if you're a seamstress, um, I don't know exactly when Sheila's Green was about, but... You can lose your eyesight. That had yeah, being a seamstress that happened. That that was not uncommon. Like how? Because you're squinting at something for hours and hours, and usually in low light, so your your eyesight. Could get... And then there was stuff mm. like you know the the match girl, the match girl strike. Um, mm. is a is another great story. Um, but for oh, because of fossy fossy jaw, mm-hmm. which is um a horrible thing to get. Um, yep. Uh, just because there was absolutely no sort of safety precautions. No. Nope. Um, not even a little. Bit. No. Um, and also, obviously, we're talking about long hours and barely any pay. Um, the new poor law of 1834, which rhymes, uh, declared women able to work beside men in hard labour, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, left rape and harassment open as well. Oh, of course. As well as good old-fashioned temptation and gossip, which could ruin a woman's reputation. Yeah, sorry, yeah. this is going to be quite frustrating. <laughs> um, I'm just crying in 2019. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Um, I actually, I, um, I volunteer at a mining museum and I was reading some books about women mm. working in Victorian times, um, on my lunch break that I found in the library. And, um, yeah. a lot of the stuff was, people were outraged not by the fact that women were performing backbreaking labour, they were outraged that they were underdressed while they were doing it. <laughs> oh, goodness sake. Yeah. Um, the other... How dare they not wear clothes enough? They had a picture of a woman who was 26 years old, same age as me. Yeah. And her face was yeah. as old as time. She had. Oh, geez. She had seen things, man. She had worked very hard. Mm. I think she was a. I think she worked as a coal picker, which is a very thankless job. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but actually, believe it or not, being a dressmaker was even worse. Oh, great! Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> sewing was considered something that women were able to do naturally, like, all women were born with the ability to do it. Um, yeah. And also, this was at a time when high fashion was becoming more pop- popular, so there was a huge uh, demand for okay. it, uh, which worked women yeah. nearly to death. Um, you could either mm-hmm. work alone, like, on individual jobs, so basically freelance, which was unpredictable and didn't pay mm-hmm. much, or you could work in a factory... Um, in sweatshop conditions, very low pay, long hours, little daylight, little food. And it was also basically seasonal work because um, they would only really be required during party and ball seasons. Um, and they'd have to wait yeah. till the last moment to produce clothes. Um, so they were uh. as, you know, as fashionable as possible. Uh, so we're talking very yeah. intensive labour for a short period of time, followed by weeks of unemployment. Mm. Most of these women didn't earn enough money to feed themselves, let alone their families basically, and you'd be breaking your back, <laughs> sweating your ass yeah. off. Uh, basically mm-hmm. what happens in developing countries now when they produce clothes for us. Yeah. Um, basically. And, yeah, unfortunately. Don't shop in Primark. You'd, everywhere does it, man. You don't really have an... Yeah. If you want to wear clothes, it's really hard to be ethical about it. Yeah. Secondhand, handmade in small, yeah. like, shops. But that's expensive. Yeah, yeah. I, I try and buy second hand as much as I can. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can understand why sex work would be preferable to mm. this. Um, it's kind of on your own terms and something of a regular income. Basically, yeah. Um, mm. 
Yeah, well, let's get into talking about sex work, actually, and talk about why it's good. Let's get into it. So the path it. that led to sex work was one formed by social class, economic status, as we've kind of looked at, and mm. not a lapse in morality. Nope. An inherent tendency of the lower classes towards vice, or of women towards vice, um, which was some of the... Yeah. There's a lot written on this topic. Um, some writers that I've used a lot, uh, Judith Wolkowitz is one of them. She's written some great stuff. Um, mm. Also, she's written some great stuff on Jack the Ripper. Um, Belinda Brooks cool. Gordon is another, plus Judith Flanders, who, um, she, there's an mm. article she wrote with the British Library, um, about, yeah. uh, document, uh, documents on prostitution, um, and I recommend checking it out, because it's really interesting. Okay. To give just a potted history of the world's oldest profession, um, it had, of course, been well established before 1880s. Um, yep. <laughs> one seventeen well established well well established one seventeen ninety one <laughs> estimate by a police magistrate put the number of London sex workers at fifty thousand. Um, but we, yeah, but we've got to remember that this most probably more than half of this included women who had sex outside of marriage for pleasure rather than pay, or lived with partners uh, but were not great. married, or who had yeah illegitimate children. Um, mm. not the sex workers that should be considered a slur then or now, we just need no. to remember the term would have been applied a lot more liberally, like, wh- who, yeah. who we'd call just a single mother today could be, you know, labelled a prostitute back mm. then. Um, because she wasn't fitting into society's standards. She was not, no. Um, in 1817, a figure of 80,000 was estimated due to Ooh. growth in popularity and, again a, yeah. again, a liberal usage of the term. Um, William Acton, yeah. who was a surgeon who specialised in human sexuality and who will pop back up in a minute, claimed that on one walk home he counted around 185 prostitutes. Well, where was he walking, That's though? what I was wondering. It did not detail where he was walking. I assume mm. he lived in, like, I don't know, Soho or somewhere? Yeah, or, like, yeah. Whitechapel. Somewhere like that. Somewhere sort of quite urban and built up. Yeah. Um, and also we have to assume that he based this assessment on appearance, unless he personally mm. accosted every single one of them. Are you a prostitute? Uh, <laughs> no. Jolly good. Um, <laughs> good day. But yeah, there's a typical appearance associated with the sex worker, uh, mm. one being that she was dressed quite flashily but poorly, like she, she might be wearing an expensive dress but without stockings or appropriate shoes. Yeah. Or something a little out of date. So that, yeah, something like that. Uh, makeup was also associated with uh, mm. the sex worker. Um, upper class women used cosmetics as well, but very subtly in in the late oh, in the late yeah. Victorian period. Uh, period, the toilette of the lady was like cold cream with face powder and subtle darkening for the lashes and eyebrows. Maybe a little mm. bit of colour for your lips and cheeks if you were really subtle about it. Wasn't um, there that whole thing of wearing, uh, of like using wrapping paper or something and like dampening it a little bit and then using the pigment that came off as cheek colour and lip colour? I'd never heard of that. Mm. That would be interesting. Because it was really was subtle and then you didn't have cosmetics in your house. Yes, because it was quite shameful to. Mm. You didn't want to be seen. Like uh, when the first cosmetics started being sold, they would often be sold in very discreet packages. Yeah. And uh, behind the counter. Behind the counter. Ditto with perfume. It was considered, mm-hmm. like, Queen Victoria was not a fan of perfume. And, you know, it was considered... No, weak. she wasn't a fan of anything. She she was not amused by much. Um, which, no. But the, the, the Victorians were very fond of, like, violet water and rose water, that kind of thing. But mm. as part of their toilette. Ah, uh, um, yes. The yes, toilette. <laughs> the toilette, which is what I call when I crowbar myself out of bed and slither to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm doing my toilette. <laughs> Don't interrupt me. I'm doing my toilette. Um, 
So, um... <laughs> I've had two pims. Can you tell? Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. I'm drinking some more coked of cola. Oh, this, your favourite beverage. This one... Not it, sponsored. Not sponsored. Though we could be. Uh, this <gasps> one is a Diet Coke Twisted Strawberry. Oh, how is that? I quite like it. It's huh. not too bad. Because every time but, I see it, I'm like, that sounds fucking disgusting. I mean, I'm drinking it, so, I mean... Yeah. Well, it's just a weird title, or twi- Welcome to My Twisted Strawberry. Mm. <laughs> Lost in the sauce. Should I use you as a barometer of taste, though? No. You absolutely should not. <laughs> you should I knew it. Um, I knew it. <laughs> no. You, you, I'm a classy lady doing my toilet. <laughs> With your twisted strawberry. With my twisted strawberry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, you uh, you would have to be quite subtle with makeup, though, back in the olden mm. days, because the, the stereotype around uh, sex workers was that they wore, you know, very bold makeup. Um, yeah. You know, if you, which you see if you watch pretty much any movie set in late Victorian period that features oh, sex yeah. workers. Um, they love, like, heavy rouge they do. Oh, look, and this, lots of lipstick. This may be a stereotype because several contemporary accounts express surprise at the lack of makeup on uh, oh. sex workers they encountered, which is probably because cosmetics go. were a luxury and a lot of sex workers were poor. Um, mm-hmm. And cosmetics are expensive. Yes. Um. Again, they they could they possibly made do with other materials, but yeah, it yeah. was it's 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 kind of a stereotype. It's used as a visual shorthand to mean sex yeah. worker when it may not have been true. Um. This is a loose woman. A loose woman with no morals. Woman. <laughs> woman. I just spat on my computer screen. Oh my God. Um. <laughs> horrible. Disgusting. Um. But who who was a typical loose woman? Well, uh, the women well. in genteel poverty could fall into the mm. lifestyle through unfortunate circumstances, but that's less likely. It did happen, though. It absolutely happened. Um, mm. Lower class women were more vulnerable, but also would have more of what I'm going to term as street smarts. Um, yeah. So they they understood street smarts. Street smarts. They <laughs> they understood what kind of the the, the streets of. Um, London were like a lot a mm. lot more um, and they also did not have the same social constraints as upper class women so they'd be more used to sharing yeah. living space with a lot of people including men um, the angel in the house mentality which is the common kind of you know Victorian vision of a woman uh, yeah. was not really there for lower class women just because it wasn't financially viable um, yeah, yeah. Um, and sex among the unmarried was a lot more common um, it was expected that once a couple had had sex and they would get married um, and so mm, pre sort of shotgun basically yeah so premarital relations were less serious they were kind of an, an engagement ritual from what I can understand um, <laughs> but if the man abandoned the woman she would still be ruined um, <laughs> great yes additionally many women who entered sex work uh, you know they might have been married but widowed or abandoned so you know sex was not something mysterious to them mm. um, and like we were talking about it offered many advantages on top of better pay as in you could make in one yeah. night what you would make doing intensive labour for a week mm-hmm. similar to body snatching yeah totally um, th- yeah. there was also a sort of social freedom emphasis on sort um, in theory, yeah. sex work allows a woman to control her own schedule, and there was a kind of sorority in it, uh, you know, mm. um, networks of sex workers. In reality, of course, we know there are things like pimps, um, known as bull- yeah. known as bullies back then. Um, oh, yes. Great. Who could either protect women or or attack? Yep, or uh, protect <laughs> or attack, and take a slice <laughs> of the 
prophets. That yeah. Right, but you know how it goes. No. Um, yeah, Walkovitz writes a lot about the kind of community among sex workers in her book, Prostitution in Victorian Society, which was a great resource. Mm. Um, like, they might pool together money to help friends see a doctor or bail her out of jail. Uh, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, they still have they still had fights over territory and clients. Um, yeah. But honestly, you can still see the appeal, um, oh, earning a similar yeah. amount of money for less backbreaking labor. Uh, the, mm-hmm. There was this idea that I came across in one of the the books I was reading um, that there was beauty from honest labor, and I mean physical beauty. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an honor in being okay. God fearing and suffering poverty beautifully rather than losing your honor, which we know that's bullshit. <laughs> You know? I mean, people do still look on poverty as like, yeah, but you've earned what you've got. And it's like, no, poverty doesn't care. Poverty does not work (laughs) that way. And also, um, I I, I didn't find any sort of thing saying this, but I imagine that if you were a working class woman who worked in some proximity to the wealthy, like if you were a domestic servant, Mm. you would see that they were not moral bastions. And subsequently you'd be like, well, why does it matter what I do then? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of kind of upstairs, downstairs. Totally. I've literally it. never seen yeah. that. Um, I've only seen the newer version. I did watch nearly all of Downton Abbey for reasons that escaped me, so um, I can't remember any of it, man. Yeah. It's just like one long fever dream. Your servant saw a lot of what you did. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. so, especially if you were like a lady's maid or something, you'd probably be... Oh, absolutely. You know, where, where, I don't know. Um, again, I didn't actually read that anywhere. Or a gentleman's gentleman. Is that a euphemism? It could be... Good. I don't know, I haven't looked at archive of our own of like Jeeves and Worcester. <laughs> sure oh my god, you know there is <laughs> You know there is <laughs> You know it's there. about Jeeves and Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Google it not Google it, look it up after this episode. Good. Thank you. Back. Send me the sexiest <laughs> one you can find. I <laughs> Okay. I didn't want that in my head, but it's there now. Um It's there, it's there now. now. Enjoy it. Um so... <laughs> Jesus Christ on a stick. Um, <laughs> so what would the average working day of the working gal look like in 1885? Well, not all mm-hmm. sex workers worked the same. Some lived in brothels. Uh, some worked... Some kind of followed military encampments around. Mm. Um, and some worked and largely lived on the streets. Yep. Uh, street walking was the most common form of prostitution. Um, it could be used to supplement income as well as be a career in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was also the most dangerous form of sex work. Uh, women were subject to harassment from the public and from the police. Um, they were su- when they did. Yes, they <laughs> they were uh, more prone to disease and also substance addiction, mm. particularly alcoholism, which was very common. Um, and it was also <laughs> Well, yeah, gin, mother's ruin. Um, it was mm-hmm. also a vicious cycle. You drink to escape, and then you earn money to get more drink, giving you more that you need to escape from. You know, um, yep. you can end up very trapped in this. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that women who di- who worked off the streets, you know, in brothels, didn't face risks, but it was more severe. Yeah. Um, women working in military areas enjoyed a kind of security, as they were often few and far between, and more able to command mm. civil treatment. And women in brothels usually enjoyed protection and a degree of comfort, like, as a perk of the job, Mm. basically. Sex workers could also dress in a freer way, as they often forewent hats, bonnets, stockings, and didn't really have to worry about being a lady. Um, Upper class... Me either. Same (laughs) as Upper class prostitution (laughs) was a thing, with women um, Mm. becoming mistresses and courtesans. There are quite a few very famous women who ended up in that, but, you know... 
more fortunate ones would operate in the West End and the prosperous suburbs and would probably mm. work for a few years for saving enough money to marry or retire. But the majority were working class women and most of their clients were working class men. There's quite a common like idea of the um, wealthy man going to the East End to, you know... Yeah, uh, but he would be eaten alive. Well, there was like a name for that kind of character. He was called Champagne Charlie. Ah, I've heard of that term. It's, uh, I think they used it in Punch quite a lot. Um, you can find uh, lots yeah, of cartoons and this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but most of the customers are working class men. Mm. Um, very good example from fiction is Nancy from Oliver Twist. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's ambiguous whether she is actually what we would now define as a prostitute. She could be in an mm. unmarried monogamous relationship um, with Bill Sykes. Unfortunately. Yes, basically. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not entirely clear, but she, she would have been branded as a prostitute back then. Yeah. Um, and, but she, and she's also portrayed sympathetically. Um, and actually, mm. lots of middle and upper class readers, including apparently Queen Victoria, were quite moved by her tale. In um yeah, yeah. in um Oliver Twist. Um, yeah. but how did people see sex workers generally? That ties in quite heavily to how female sexuality was seen. So okay. you know we've already kind of talked about the angel in the house versus the fallen whore, quote unquote mm, unquote. Or the unfortunate the woman. The unfortunate woman. Uh, good uh, quote unquote. There's gonna be a lot of quote unquotes in this, but uh, yeah. good women. It was felt had no sexual urges or felt any kind of excitement from the act. William Acton, <laughs> who we've already come across before, he wrote that. I love when people roast themselves. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he wrote that uh, prostitution was an inevitable attendant upon civilized and especially close packed population. Uh, mm. Prostitutes were. Women with half the woman gone, and that half contains all that elevates her nature, leaving her a mere <sighs> instrument of impurity. Degraded and fallen, she wow. extracts from the sin of others the means of living. A social wow. pest, <laughs> carrying contamination and foulness to every quarter. And you're like, Jesus, William, calm down. Oh um, but it, it was, Who hurt you? Who hurt him? Uh, lots of people did disagree with him, <laughs> even then. I will say, lots of people did disagree Good. with them. Um, but it was generally accepted that sexual desire in males was innate and natural, mm. whereas sexual desire in females was kind of monstrous and strange. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can... Uh, there's, like, you can look at gothic literature for some great examples of this. They're cut oh, kind yeah. of metaphorical-wise, I know, it's really interesting. Um, the monstrous female, isn't it? Isn't that a term? Yeah, actually, my, my best friend wrote her dissertation on, like, the monstrous feminine. Ah, in, um, I think she did Frankenstein, and she also cool. did Stephen King. It's pretty interesting. Uh, she got a first book, so yeah. Uh, nice. Shout out, Samantha. XOXO. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, there was kind of this image of the innocent gentleman being seduced by the immoral lower class female, and it um, actually uh, was yeah. an informing factor in the Contagious Diseases Act. Um, yeah. In this act, uh, basically, sex workers would be forcibly examined for signs of disease. Um, a process, yeah. process which was invasive and humiliating, and they, uh, they of course, and they could not uh, subject soldiers to this because soldiers protested at the indignity of it. Because <laughs> um, a, oh, a lot, yeah. a lot of the problems of you know, like syphilis and that was happening in in, in the military. Mm. Um, so basically, mm. these acts put the blame of venereal disease upon women. Um, further in, naturally, uh, yeah, further ensuring the popular idea that the prostitute is abnormal, criminal, and other. Um, so we've got mm. a massive cognitive dissonance towards them. So they were, they were, uh, one term is they were a safety valve for men. Um, 
And the the other quote I got was objects on whom to project all the negative part of their feelings for women, the Victorian equivalent of the medieval witch. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, um, the impure woman was responsible not only for her own debasement, but for the debasement of other women. So implicitly, right? Yes, implicitly, <laughs> abuse of the prostitute was preferable to the ruination of quote unquote good women. Oh, yes. Uh, one historian, Hilary Cashman, pointed out that the othering of sex workers also basically denies them any chance of reforms. You know, once they, 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 mm. they, uh, they're branded, you know, and it's really hard yeah. to, you know, take a, you know, I mean, like when you're a felon, it's hard to get a legit job, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> so it was kind of you. You fucked yourself. You fucked yourself now. into the situation. You're yeah. <laughs> you can't fuck yourself out. Which is a shame, because if you could yeah. fuck yourself out, that would be good. Um, yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Um, and it's it's pretty funny because, as I said before, a lot of them were identified by dress. And this is quite a murky mm. area as some respectable, quote-unquote, women were accosted as sex workers for actions like holding their skirt a little too high. Um, so bas- oh, basically, the it's the old, if well, if women didn't dress like sluts, this problem wouldn't happen. How dare they show their ankles? Oh, it's too sexy for me. Oh. Too sexy, because ankles lead to legs, which lead to the vagina. The what? I've never even heard that word. (laughs) Disgusting. (laughs) The lady garden. Jeeves, take it away. I had a cocktail once called the lady garden. (laughs) Really? It was good. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, it had like thyme in it or something. Um, Oh, cute. Yeah. Um, Also, I'm talking pretty much entirely in this whole thing about female prostitutes. Uh, There were male ones who largely serviced men. Yep. Um, Yay! As is still the case, actually. Um, But homosexuality became illegal, largely as a result Mm -hmm. of the Maiden Tribute. Um, So a lot of the the information on them comes from court cases and not from personal accounts, with some exceptions. All of them very sad stories. Um, Yeah, like I said... uh, We'll be covering one next week. Yes, we will. Uh, Modern Babylon is responsible for criminalising homosexuality, so contributing towards the trial and sentence of Oscar Wilde, to give one very famous example. Um... Now, legally, I hate it. this is where things get a tiny bit nasty here. Hang on a minute. Okay. Legally... I'm, I'm holding on. Oh, yeah. I'm holding on to my twisted strawberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, legally, it's a little bit murky. Yeah. Um, in terms of who was allowed to do what. So, okay. Under the Offences Against the Person Act 1861, the age of consent was 12. Um, it was... Right. Yes, I know. It was a felony to have <laughs> what it calls unlawful carnal knowledge of a girl under the age of 10. Mm. And it was a misdemeanor to have unlawful carnal knowledge of a girl between the ages of 10 and 12. A misdemeanor? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Oh, the Victorian ages were magic. Yep. Um, <laughs> Is Caitlin Doty going to come for me with like a lawsuit now? Because I referenced... You did. You're going. You're going. You're going to corpse jail. Uh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah. So the age of consent was raised to thirteen in eighteen seventy five. Um, although the wow. yeah, well done, guys. Good job. Um, <laughs> these it, it was mostly to protect protect the very young and the very wealthy. Yeah, of course. Who else? Uh, the reason. Yeah, for the, the the lawmakers at the time were concerned about the welfare of heiresses, meaning their own daughters, and by extension, yeah. those of their friends and patrons. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it was girls over the age of 13, and the poor had very little protection under this law, though. Yeah. Um, Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that, I'm really sorry. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. 
So there was some idea that fallen women, as they were often called, could be reformed. Uh, the main institutions for yeah. this were the Magdalene Asylums, um, which were right. designed with the idea of reshaping women back into respectability. They were known as Magdalene Laundries in Ireland, and they, they were there's a whole separate strand of tragicness there. Mm. Um, they became very, they were very punitive and prison-like. Yeah. Venereal diseases would be treated in lock hospitals, which were also quite prison-like. Yeah. But there were also reform houses. Uh, Charles Dickens owned one called Urania Cottage, which was a lot kinder and focused on oh, focused great. on reform through emigration. So like starting a new, starting okay. a new life basically. So um in another country, oh. preferably a warmer one. Yeah. Yeah. Now there was okay. So there was a lot of feminist action against what was happening to women. Uh, be aware, I'm using mm. the word feminist in a 19th century context, so it's not... Women's reform. Yeah. It's it's basically, it's not up to what we would call feminist standards today. Uh-huh. Yeah, the movement we're going to discuss in most detail is the social purity movement, which is something of a precursor to first wave feminism. Um, mm. It's quite... I found it summarised on a... I, so I found a website called historyoffeminism.com, which gave a fairly good yeah. um, description of it, but... As I was clicking around, I noticed a couple of odd phrases, and then I noticed the site was openly anti anti feminist, and then a couple right. a couple of clicks led me to an alt right blog. So, oh, so uh, be careful what you Google when you're looking up the purity mm. movement. I thought it was going to be like oh, and then I found out it was a rad femme group, and then I would have been like, well, that Ugh. doesn't surprise me. Disgusting, but even somehow worse. Yeah, somehow. It did actually link me to an 1898 newspaper article, mm. uh, which was like just a scan of it, which is very interesting, which proposed yeah. a men's rights movement oh, against great. the encroachment of female rights. And right. it features an interview with a man named Mr. Austin, and it reads fucking exactly like a Ben Shapiro piece. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Some things never change. I'm almost less depressed learning that some things that the world's all, yeah. always been like this and we haven't all just gone crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me a hollow chuckle. Yeah, we're not we're not just becoming shits now. We've always been shits. Maybe we're just better at pointing it out now. I don't mm. know. But yeah, there was a men's rights movement. An MRA. Even before women had the vote, there was a men's wow. rights movement. Wow, <laughs> that about sums it up, doesn't it? Ridiculous. Mm. So um. The the social purity movement, um, so its chief goals were to abolish prostitution and other activities that were immoral, according to Christian morality, so basically anything that isn't monogamous, married, heterosexuality, and also isn't too freaky. Ah, so, so no, like, furries. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that would have been on their agenda. <laughs> I don't know. Victorian furries were just laughing all the way to, like, the dog pen. There must have been furries in Victorian times. You'd think so. Animals existed. Yeah, no, pretty much nothing's new. There had to be some form of it back then. Yeah, I mean, they were electrocuting their scrotums, so, you know. That was just for fun, though. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, no, Um, it's to improve my virility. It's to improve my virility. Leave me alone, Barrel. (laughs) I have to be alone while this happens. But, um, so uh, when they say social purity movement, uh, understand social to mean sexual. Um, mm. They wanted to raise the age of consent, which is good. I'm I'm going to say good. Uh, prevent white slavery, which I'll talk about a lot further. Uh, they wanted to sexually segregate prisons. Uh, they also right. wanted to oppose abortion and birth control. Ah, yeah. It's worth pointing out here that their goals also overlapped with eugenics. 
Um, right. Yeah, eugenicists needed white female chastity to ensure their goals, which is mm. breeding fitness. Basically, women's bodies were sacra terra, but only white women. Yeah. This did include working class women, because, you know, they needed to perpetuate the working classes, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, it was also quite heavily intertwined with the temperance movement um, mm. at the same time. I was going to so, say, yes. it's giving me that kind of vibe. No fun allowed. Um, no, no fun. No fun. Um, no, no. One of the one of the it was so the the social purity movement happened from about the eighteen fifties to the start of the First World War ish. One of the uh-huh. earliest leaders was a woman named Ellis Hopkins, who right. was instrumental in improving industrial schools, which were basically okay. institutions that they sent um, at risk kids to. I actually I actually go past one of my bus and a former hmm. uh, girls industrial school. Yeah. Um, bas- yeah. Basically, we'd go and like learn to work hard and value hard work. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, the establishment of the White Cross Army was also her doing. Uh, these were dudes mm. who promised to maintain a chivalrous respect for womanhood. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, another key figure who's actually who's actually a lot more interesting was Josephine Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a reformer, early feminist and suffragist. Pretty interesting lady. She set up a bunch of charities to help sex workers, including housing women in the terminal stages of venereal disease in her own home when they had nowhere else to go. Oh. Yeah, she also pointed out that women needed education to break the vicious cycle, yeah. not just punishment. Um, and called who out who fucking knew who knew it and called out the double standard that placed all the blame on women, which Ellis mm-hmm. Hopkins also did. In all fairness, um, she was also very opposed to the forced examination of sex workers for venereal disease, and she called it steel Good. rape. Yeah, which is a term that comes up. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's through her I'd like to introduce the white slave trade. Um, okay, this is a great sentence. Um, <laughs> so. It was while investigating the effects of the Contagious Diseases Act that she became aware of the trade of un- of underage girls. Uh, this is where things are mm-hmm. going to get really rough, just FYI. Um, yeah. So, Butler became aware of English women and children being shipped to Europe in 1879. Uh, the mm-hmm. legal age of consent at the time was 13. So, girls of that mm-hmm. age were quote-unquote fair game as the shipping. Uh, she... Oh, she, Yeah, sorry. She wrote of Brussels... Brothels... Oh, that's fun. Brussels brothels. Ooh, being full Brussels of, brothels. <laughs> being full of English children deceived away from their small hometowns and then immured into slavery, uh, which led to the arrest mm-hmm. and trial of 12 Belgian brothel keepers. Um, mm. And she kept going. In 1885, she joined forces with Florence Booth, who was the daughter-in-law of mm-hmm. William Booth, um, uh... founder of the Salvation Army, and also the guy who does the pov- who did the poverty maps of London. Um, which are quite ah, famous. You yeah, may have yeah, seen, yeah. I actually have one on my wall right now. <laughs> ah, I have, what yeah. a fine piece of art. Yes, it's beautiful. I love it. Um, yeah, basically like colour maps detailing the, the, the poverty in London. Mm. And it's it's surprising because you see people of like mixed means are crammed in very closely together. Um, she con- yeah, she I was con- going to say, like, East, the East End must just be like black. It's not. There's a lot of red in there because uh, red signifies ah. well-to-do middle class. Um, so there's a lot of huh. there's a lot of red there's a lot of black but there's also a lot of red and a lot of you know in between really it's interesting gentrifiers gentrification man yeah it would just all be freaking red <laughs> nowadays wouldn't it? um yeah but yeah she uh, she was one of the contributions to the po- contributors rather to the poverty maps um she also yeah. worked with the Salvation Army and was aware of the scale and impact of girls as young as twelve and thirteen being sold selling themselves mm. um okay and 
uh, before I uh, before I finish my little part one, um, mm-hmm. we uh, just a few quick words on child prostitution, which is not a pleasant topic, but nope. unfortunately but a very yes, we've got to get through it. Unfortunately, a very real one then and now, and mm-hmm. as old as the oldest profession itself. Yep. Um, so children sold themselves for the same reason women did. They didn't have any money. It was a relatively easy way to get money as opposed to a mm. quote-unquote honest work. Uh, there's also the very grim factor that was true then and again continues to be true now. It's not uncommon for underage sex workers to have experienced sexual abuse in the home. Yep. Yeah. Uh, additionally, virginity was quite highly prized and in some cases mm. thought to be a cure for venereal disease. Now, there's a really good book, which is one of my favourite books, it's fictional, um, set in 1870s New York about this called The Virgin Cure by Amy Mackay. Um, okay. But uh, kind of in this, have you heard of... Um, Believing in a virgin cure for AIDS. No. Oh, you've never heard of... Okay, this also isn't pleasant. No. I'm sorry. Um, uh, it was not uncommon in areas that were very stricken by AIDS, you know, like uh, for people to... Uh, there's no nice word to say this. Yeah. Uh, force themselves upon virgins because they thought that it would it would cure the... Uh, Jesus Christ. It's... I, I'm sorry. It's... No. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I'm it's sorry. Part of the topic. Don't worry. Don't worry. This this is almost this is I'm going to say there's one more moment that's as nasty as this and the rest of it isn't uh, as bad, okay? Um This is the valley and then we have the climb back out. Yes, exactly. Um mm-hmm. and again, I'm mostly talking about female children here, although of course yeah. there were underage male prostitutes as well. Uh, who were very highly prized in Greek and Roman brothels actually. Uh-huh. Uh, to the surprise of no one. Um Yeah. But yeah, lots of general summaries of Victorian prostitution don't really go into underage sex workers, so digging into it mm. can be necessary. Again, Judith Wolkowitz is a good source for this. Um, but yeah, I just think a lot of people don't like to think about it because if you no, yeah, they I, I don't blame them because it's not pleasant. But like, yeah, it's when people say stuff like uh, sex tourism in 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 Thailand. It's you know ultimately mm. they make money off it, and you're like yeah, yeah, but the sex trade always has an even you know filthier version of it clinging along everywhere yeah. it goes like a little goblin um mm-hmm. so let's end part one by saying that we're about to get our avengers team Yay. <laughs> booth and butler would team up with an upstart journalist named wt stead in order to raise awareness <gasps> of the cause he's back he's back the boy the man with a vengeance the man himself but uh, we'll get back to him in a minute. I'm ready for a refill. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go and get some gin, I think. Gin! I'm going to mix gin. it in my Twister straw. That sounds disgusting, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> it does. Okay. <laughs> okay, see you in a bit. See you in a bit. gin to clear my mind of our closing conversation there yeah 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 just bleach my brain so um we're talking about a guy called wt stead now he's the biggest player in the maiden tribute he's the author Mm -hmm. the producer and also the guy who ended up taking the most sort of flack and he got blamed the most by the public in the because this is a complicated case, there was also blame. Yeah. So, um, Stead's a fairly interesting guy. Uh, he became the editor of his first newspaper, The Northern Echo, at the age of just 22, mm-hmm. and became editor of the Gazette in 1883. Nice. 
as aforementioned, he was to move the paper in a more liberal direction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, above all things, he was a pioneer of investigative journalism. There's a really good yeah. online resource about him called attackingthedevil.co.uk, uh, which has a lot more information on him, and also it has the complete text of the Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon. Um, so oh, if you are cool. interested in reading it, it is available fully online. There are also I, I have it on my yeah. I have it on my Kindle. Um, there are there nice. are printed editions as well. Um, he supported the social purity movement. He was also very mm-hmm. interested in spiritualism. Uh, and claimed to as most Victorians were. They were, yeah. He claimed to converse with ghosts. I think he moved in some of the same circles as Arthur Conan Doyle. I'm not 100 percent sure. Oh, uh, makes sense. Um, but get a load of this. He died on the Titanic. Huh. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. That, yeah, he was one. That what? He was one of the, <laughs> own, I think maybe the only English sort of upper class passenger to die on the Titanic. But yeah, he died. Huh. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Interesting. That is, yeah. So yeah, he, he so he died in 1912. Um, but this this yeah. was quite some time before then. Uh, but he was sympathetic to Butler and Booth's cause. Mm. He'd already been swayed by anti-vice reformer and Chamberlain of the City of London, Benjamin Scott, um, who mm. had shared stories of sexually exploited children and wanted Stead to do something. Um, and so mm. Stead set up the Special and Secret Committee of Inquiry, which included Butler. Okay. Now, their their initial investigation got two women, who were workers for the Palomar Gazette and the Salvation Army, to pose as prostitutes and infiltrate brothels, uh, leaving... Bef- I bet they didn't stand out at I all. I bet this is a comedy somewhere that has not yet been made. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Butler and her son also posed as uh, brothel keepers... Uh, and walk the streets of London, spending £100 on purchasing children in high-class brothels. Great. Uh, Stead also aided by interviewing lots of different people, including the former chief investigator for Scotland Yard, and then interviewing active and former agents in the sex trade, so brothel keepers, uh, pimps, uh, prostitutes, jail keepers, so on. Um, Mm. These these would be compiled into the Maiden Tribute, all these kind of anecdotes he was getting. One brothel keeper is quoted in the Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon to kind of give you a little flavour of the text. Mm-hmm. As he he describes the typical process of recruiting a maid. Uh, this is a little bit unpleasant. It's not explicit, but just, just okay. so you know. Uh, he, I'll gird myself. He said, maids, as you call them, fresh girls as we know them in the, ro- in the trade, are constantly in request and a keeper who knows his business has his eyes open in all directions. His stock of girls is constantly getting used up and he needs replenishing and he has to be on the alert for likely marks to keep up the reputation of his house. I have written my time a good deal about the country on these errands. The getting of fresh girls takes time but it is simple and easy enough when once you're in it. I have gone and courted girls in the country under all kinds of disguises, occasionally assuming the dress of a parson, and make them believe I intended to marry them, and so got them in my power to please a good customer. How is it done? Oh, yep. Why, after courting my girl for a time, I propose to bring her to London to see the sights. I bring her up, take her here and there, give her plenty to eat and drink, especially drink. I take her to the yeah. theatre, yeah, and I contrive it so she loses her last train. By this time, she is very tired, a little dazed with the drink and excitement, and very frightened at being left in town with no friends. I offer her nice lodgings for the night. She goes to bed in my house, and the affair is managed. My client gets his maid. I get my £10 or £20 commission in the morning. The girl, who has lost her character and dare not go home, in all probability will do as the others do. Yeah, I'm sorry. And become one of my marks. That is, she will make her living in the streets to the advantage of my house. 
The brothel keeper's profit is, first, the commission down for the price of a maid, and secondly, the continuous profit of the addition of a newly seduced, attractive girl to his establishment. That is a fair sample case of the way in which we recruit. Another very simple mode of supplying maids is by breeding them. Many women who are on the streets have female children. They are worth keeping. When they get to be 12 or 13, they become merchantable. For a likely mark of this kind, you may get as much as 20 or 40 pounds. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That kind of gives you an insight into what the white slave trade, as it was so-called, mm-hmm. was, um, and how it yeah. worked. Um, and, and how kind of the idea of being ruined was imprisoning a lot of women, mm. you know, um, the children as well. Goods. Yeah, basically. Your Velcro, this is what it sounds like. Your chewing gum, blur. Yes, basically. Um, except except society wide. Yeah. Um, and the the interview with the former chief investigator contains the following quote. Mm. This is Stead quoting himself. And but I said in, in amazement. Then do you mean to tell me that in every in very truth actual rapes in the legal sense of the word are constantly being perpetrated in London on unwilling virgins, pervaded and procured to rich men, so at so much ahead by keepers of brothels? Certainly, said he. There is not a doubt of it. Why, I exclaimed, the very thought is enough to raise hell. It is true, he said, and although I ought to raise hell, it does not even raise the neighbours. Um, so, so Stead's purpose was to raise exactly that hell. That was what he wanted mm. to do. Um, Good. And he pretty much succeeded. Uh, but he decided, and this, is th- this was the most controversial part of the Maiden Tribute, the the best way to blow the issue wide open uh, would be to actually purchase a child for sex and document the entire process. Okay. Okay. So uh, here we come to what is called the Eliza Armstrong case. Yeah. It kind of forms a very small part of the total body of the, the Maiden Tribute, but again, it's probably the most infamous part of it and it also led yeah. to much controversy and also the later arrest and trial of Stead and some of his compatriots mm. so with the help of Butler and Bramwell Booth, uh, Florence's husband um, Stead got into contact with Rebecca Jarrett who was uh, a reformed prostitute and brothel keeper um, to aid in this mission, uh, she was reluctant to return to her old contacts but agreed to help Yeah. in the end uh, so what she did was she got in contact with an old colleague, a procuress named Nancy Broughton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Broughton told Jarrett of a 13-year-old girl named Eliza Armstrong, whose alcoholic mother was in need of money. Mm. Uh, Jarrett met with Mrs. Armstrong and told her she was buying the girl for domestic service, though right. Jarrett believed Mrs. Armstrong you know, knew exactly what was happening. Mm. Uh, it, it was implied. On, on June 3rd, 1885, the deal was struck, and Mrs. Armstrong agreed to sell her daughter for £5, which is roughly £630 nowadays. Um, yeah. People were desperate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stories of people selling their children yeah. all over the place. I'd say that was more... That was one of the most despicable things you could do, mm, selling your but children. also a mark of... Absolute yeah. desperation. Absolutely, people were absolutely desperate. It was yeah not a good time to be alive. No. Um, so what happened then? Um, Jarrett took um, Eliza 
to a mid to a midwife who um certified her virginity and lack of venereal disease. That's actually kind of a, I mean you can't really tell if someone's a virgin by looking at them. It's kind of a myth. Um, no. But yeah, but um the, it was still a process that happened back then. Mm. Um, the, the midwife concept of the fucking hymen. The hymen, yeah, which is pretty much nonsense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's a like not elastic. It's a, what's the word? It's a membrane. Membrane. It's a. It's a. That doesn't it's... rip. It stretches. Ew. Sorry. It's just so gross. It only. Well, rips I mean, I mean, you're not prepared. I mean, plus you could you could potentially tear it on a rough bike ride. You know what yeah, I mean? or on like riding a horse. Yeah, exactly. So it, 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 it's it's all made up. It's bullshit. We yeah, know it's it bullshit. Uh, yeah. People still believe now. it, but you know. We know now. Not everyone does. But we do. They didn't then. Um, yeah. The midwife also sold Jarrett a bottle of chloroform, which she used to drug Eliza. Um, Great. Yeah. Eliza <laughs> was basically brought to a brothel where she was to mm. await her purchaser. And the purchaser was Stead. Um, luckily for Eliza, I'm going to say. Um, mm. Although she doesn't know that. Uh, Stead was actually um, hopped up on champagne because he really wanted to be a convincing libertine, um, yeah. even though he was a teetotaler. So he must have been, he must have been like, blackout when this happened. Yeah, um, I was going to say, did he just sniff the bottle? He might, I, I mean, the, the way this is described, like, obviously it's a serious situation, but it does also sound like it could be something out of, like, It's Always Sunny, 1885. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, so what the happened... Gang- by a maid. Oh, so disgusting. <laughs> um, but yeah, what happened was um, he, all he did was he went into her room and waited for her to recover from the chloroform. Uh, uh-huh. When she woke up, she saw him kind of put two and two together and realised what was going on and screamed. Um, mm-hmm. Stead le- then left the room, allowing the scream to imply that he had his way with her to anyone who might be listening. Um, yeah. Now Eliza's story pretty much ends here. Um, she mm-hmm. was basically swiftly handed over to Bramwell Booth, who sent her to France to live with a Salvationist family, so like family from the Salvation Army. Okay. She was obviously frightened and presumably had to live with the knowledge now that her mother had sold her, but she was physically un- physically unharmed by the encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is something. Something, I, I guess. Yeah, but Stead, presumably with a massive hangover, um, now had a story <laughs> to write. So. <laughs> Um, on July 4th, so about a month after this all went down, um, a frank warning was published in the Pall Mall Gazette. It read, All those who are squeamish, and those who are prudish, and those who would prefer to live in a fool's paradise of imaginary innocence and purity, selfishly oblivious to the horrible realities which torment those whose lives are passed in the London inferno, will do well not to read the Pall Mall Gazette of Monday and the following three days. Mm. On July 6th, the story began. Okay. It was printed in four instalments, um, all split up into a series of lascivious titles. Is that how you pronounce it? Lascivious? Lascivious. Lascivious. Whatever. <laughs> lascivious titles. <laughs> you asked! <laughs> I like to I like to ask people for reassurance, and when they reassure me, I like to I like to push <laughs> them away. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, all these titles were stuff like were stuff like um the violation of virgins, which is pretty eye- designed oh, to be yeah. eye catching. Um, mm. and uh, again, it covers a lot more than just the Armstrong case, detailing several similar cases um, that he got from interviews: mm. the kidnapping of girls from the countryside, the ruination of a respectable French woman in genteel poverty. 
you know, um, and also I'm afraid to say, uh, content warning, the ruination of very young girls, i.e. what I'm tentatively going to call the worst part. Uh-huh. Uh, and he also spends a report kind of blasting politicians he considered responsible for these conditions. Good. Yes, writing at the very end of the section, if Mr. Hastings, who would fix the age of consent at ten, or Mr. Wharton, who was in favour of even a lower age than ten, was allowed to have his way, we should probably have to start homes to accommodate infants of four, five, and six who had been ruined by their own consent. What blasphemy? What even? Yeah, I know. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I, I can't. I say stuff like you know, uh, it is available to read online, but do read it with caution because. Mm. It's not really explicit in the same way we the same way we might consider things to be explicit, but it does yeah. talk very frankly about mm. what is the rape of children. Um, yeah, and it uses the it's it's not shy to use the word rape. It doesn't use euphemisms, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, I guess if it's kind of yeah, they using it as like shock. Well, he, he he was going balls to the wall with it. Yeah, <laughs> you know he he was he was not that... beating about the bush. No, um, you're gonna use the word that brings the most kind of yeah shock yeah to your piece. Um, but yeah, he, he's he also he's also talking in it about the other ways the law facilitates the trade in underage girls. Um, the low age of consent, meaning there's no extra punishment for those who traffic children rather than grown women, mm. which is also not acceptable. But you know what I mean. Um, so yeah. some would say that should be a double punishment. Mm. And also, it's a. Uh, it's very, it's ridiculously difficult to get a search warrant or permission to enter a building to regain a stolen child, uh, more so than it is mm. to regain stolen property. Um, he actually relates the case of a keeper uh, of a of a of a child brothel who was mm. arrested on trafficking charges. Sorry, he was arrested not on trafficking charges, but because he was selling alcohol without a license. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, again, I'm not really going to go into detail. The, so, um. Yeah, it's not in the way it's not explicit in the way you'd consider maybe written pornography. Uh, mm. It's yeah, it gets to the point. No euphemism. Girls are being raped. Yeah, babies are being raped. They scream in a soundproof oh, room. If we could hear them, Jesus. we would do something. That's the it, it, it talks about the screams quite extensively. Mm. Um, now, this piece of journalism is operating by a tactic you might call shock journalism. Um, yeah. which we'd also see a lot later on with photographic covering of war violence so sh- show people mm. in eye-watering detail exactly what's going on while they pretend it isn't and only yeah. then can we make our change um, mm. and I'll talk a little bit more about the effectiveness of that in a minute uh, but back to the Maiden Tribute for a second it was an immediate hit the public ate it up um, so W.H. Mm. Smith at the time had a monopoly on newspaper stands but refused to tell the lurid tale on principle mm. how times change um, and so volunteers consisting of newsboys and Salvation Army workers took up the task of distributing the Gazette. George Bernard Shaw even offered to help. He thought it was such an important cause. Mm-hmm. Second-hand copies of the paper were sold at marked-up prices, and crowds gathered around the offices of the Gazette. Okay. Yes. There were denouncers of the article, branding it pornographic, indecent, and calling for Stead to be prosecuted. Then there were those who saw him as a hero, and began pushing for reform. The irony of people calling that pornographic yeah. is immense. I have some more on that in a minute, actually, um, uh. Uh, on it as a pornographic piece of literature. But, yeah, yeah I don't doubt... <sighs> this This isn't very nice, so I apologise, but I don't doubt that some people were getting off to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. In the slightest. 
Um, People are still doing it now. Well, People quite, are doing yes. it for um, centuries. But honestly, it was there was a genuine uproar about it, and the kind we might mm. more typically associate with modern press and outrage culture. I mean, the 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 time frame is roughly the same, literally just a couple of days, mm. and interest was peaked as soon as the initial warning was public. This was, this was content; it was a media event, not just a story. You know? Yeah. But then there were those. Um, who were like, we need to actually change something. Protest meetings were held mm. countrywide, and protest. Oh, yeah, shit. Protesters dressed in white uh, to represent virginity uh, marched on mm. Hyde Park, demanding action. Yeah. And the Home Secretary of the time, Sir William Harcourt, feared rioting if the story continued, and telegraphed Stead. You know, kind of on the second day of mm. it being printed, pleading with him to stop. Stead responded he would only do it if a criminal law amendment bill was passed. It wasn't, and publication Good. continued. Good. Yeah. Good on him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it ended up fulfilling exactly what Stead and Scott had wanted it to do. Uh, it rekindled debate mm. around um, the criminal law amendment bill. Uh, this bill was the aim of the social purity reformers. Mm-hmm. The uh, the debate to amend this law had been stagnant for a while, mostly due to a budget crisis and also a shift in government after Gladstone's government resigned. There's, there's this big political storm around it, which is mm. sort of tangent. You can read up on it if you're interested. Um, it just wasn't the top of the list of their priorities at that time. Yeah. But with the Maiden Tribute, public opinion had to be addressed because it was something very sort of real for people to be outraged about because people don't respond mm. as what, oh, there's a financial crisis and blah, blah, blah. But people, it's, it's, it's fucking, it's exactly the same with what happened with, you know, Hillary Clinton. People, oh, absolutely, people yeah. don't find a headline like, oh, maybe she was not paying taxes. She should have done. That's boring. But she might be involved yeah. in a pedophile ring in a pizza restaurant. People are, Wah. you know what I mean? Oh, suddenly everyone cares. It's, except this was, you know, um, kind of actually. Much worse. Yeah. I'm going to tentatively say it was, I don't, I, I don't know enough about it, but this, this was mm. uh, just as sensational, but maybe more deserving of attention. I don't. I yeah, don't know. more like the sort of Trump coming out with "grab them by the pussy" Ew. when you're a star, they let you. Yep, 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 yep. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um. So on the 9th of July, that quickly, uh, the debate resumed. Mm. Um. And Good. it went on for some weeks with Stead stirring the pot the whole way, <laughs> reporting names of people who were voting against it. Um. But on the fourth, stir that stir pot, Stead. Yeah, Stead. Yeah, Stead. <laughs> we stand. <laughs> But on the 14th of August, just over a month after the publication, the 1885 Criminal Law Amendment Act was passed. Okay. And it raised the age of consent from 13 to 16. Good. It made it a criminal offence to procure girls for prostitution by administering drugs, intimidation or fraud. Good. It punished householders who would permit underage sex on their premises. Good. It made it a criminal offence to abduct a girl under 18 for purposes of carnal knowledge. Yes. It gave magistrates the power to issue search warrants to find missing females. Excellent. It gave power to the court to remove a girl from her legal guardians if they condoned her seduction. Good. It provided for summary proceedings to be taken against brothels. Mm-hmm. Raised, raised the age of felonious assaults to 13 and misdemeanor assault from... Felonious. <laughs> I thought you said felonious. Felonious. <laughs> I didn't forget how to talk halfway through a sentence. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Felonies. I'm going to start pronouncing that word like felonies. <laughs> Please do. Uh, um, felonious assaults to 13 years of age and yeah. misdemeanor assault between 13 and 16 
Um, and also imbecile women and girls, which was once a medical term, believe oh, it or not. Oh, great. Yeah, but so it, it, <clears throat> but it was, you know, more criminalised to sexually assault. Yeah. Uh, which mentally, is something. Yeah, um, mentally disabled women, which is... Yeah. I, I wish they'd use a different word, but sure, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and also it extended buggery laws to include any kind of sexual activity between males. Okay. So, sounds pretty nice, but not... All of it. So the two main takeaways here are A, homosexuality is by this bill now completely illegal and punishable by law. Not necessarily between women, actually. Yeah, lesbians are always kind of not really talked about. Yeah, it tends to be a bit fuzzier, um, Mm. that one, like, um, legally. But um, definitely between dudes, that's not allowed. No. And also there was a huge crackdown on brothel activity. Uh, mm. Which ostensibly might be a reason to celebrate, but let's th- th- think about that for a wee bit. What far-reaching consequences might we yeah, have? Yeah, you're going to have more women streetwalking. Exactly. Well, speaking of consequences, Stead and Squad would have to face them shortly. Yeah. So, in the Maiden Tribute, it's not made entirely clear that the purchaser of Eliza, who is called Lily in the text, um, is Stead himself. Mm. Unfortunately, Eliza's mother was able to identify her daughter... And she went to the police, claiming she'd been duped into selling her daughter. Charges were then brought against Stead and crew, including Jarrett, the midwife, and Booth, Mm. on the illegal procurement of the girl. Um, Stead admitted he did not have Eliza's father's consent and that he he had relied on Jarrett's testimony that Mrs. Armstrong was aware of it. Mm. Um, The the, the full court proceedings can be read online at Attacking the Devil. They're also quite interesting, Um, but they are court proceedings, so you know they're a bit long as well. Um, But the, the eventual decision was... Stead, Jarrett, and the midwife were found guilty of procurement and abduction. Okay. Uh, the the others um, were acquitted, but uh, for this, the women received six months in prison, and Stead received three. Now, the 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 midwife died in prison. Oh, jeez. Jarrett had to perform hard labour. Uh-huh. Um, Stead, Stead, meanwhile, was treated very well as a first-class prisoner, with a servant and a fireplace. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> And he continued to edit the paper from prison. He didn't have to wear prison clothes, although he requested to keep some and would wear them every year to celebrate the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, and and he said of it, Never had I a pleasanter holiday, a more charming season of repose. Oh my um, God. Yes. He would continue to perform investigative journalism and other activities, and other activists continued their work. The purity mm. movement continued. The White Cross Army was formed after this. And movements against music halls and indecent literature, including that on birth control, which was considered obscene. Oh, sake. Um, Butler was very critical of this. Uh, she said the, fa- uh, the fatuous belief that you can oblige human beings to be moral by force, and in doing so, you may in some way promote social purity. Uh, but no one really listened to her, which is a shame, because she was right. Um, <laughs> She's a woman. Who's going to listen to her? What? Um, as for Eliza Armstrong, um, it's known that funds were raised for her to attend a training centre to become a servant, um, mm. but she lost contact with the Salvation Army after her return from France, and her later life is unknown. Mm. So her fate's somewhat unknown. Uh, I don't know if she ever saw her mother again. Must have been pretty awkward if she did. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a welcome back. Woo! Hello, mother. Remember me. But um, the, the the Criminal Law Amendment Act would not be repealed until 1956 in England when it was replaced by the Sexual Offences Act, which yeah. maintained the criminalisation of brothels. And homosexuality would not be decriminalised until 1967 and not fully until 2003. 
great. Um, yes. So obviously, in effect, basically, the criminalization of homosexuality is this is an oversimplification, but it is basically what killed Oscar Wilde was. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Being sent, he he never he never recovered from his prison sentence. No. Really. But I'd like to focus on the eighteen eighties again for a minute, and particularly okay. on female sex workers at that time. Yeah. So your favorite decade. <laughs> it is my favorite decade. Mm. Classic. <laughs> um. But yeah. So the outpouring of public outrage, which was expressed in the form of grassroots political activity, mm. uh, groups over the country were organised to oversee the local enforcement of the new laws, and they managed to prompt police crap that. Crapdowns? Come on. Crapdowns on (laughs) crapdowns, yes. On brothels and solicitation in urban areas. Um, which resulted in sex workers having to ply their trade in an environment where they would be more vulnerable. Huh. Yeah, so the actions of these groups were I'm quoting myself here from my dissertation. Yeah. Um, a, a libertarian defence of working class women which targeted the perceived sexual immorality of men and ultimately ended up harming many it aimed to help. Yeah. Um, therefore, the lesson from this is a feminism that does not take the experiences of all women into account may end up harming mm. uh, even those it is seeking to help. Yeah. If your feminism isn't intersexual, intersectional... It's garbage. It's garbage. Yeah. It belongs in the bin. Mm-hmm. Put it in the bin. You live in the trash now. Um, but um, the Maiden tribute is not uncontroversial even contemporarily mm-hmm. for all I've been yeah saying you should read it to make your own mind I won't deny it's hard to read um, and one I read a contemporary paper from well from 2012 but you know contemporary mm. Greta Wendelin uh, she posits in her paper that the Maiden tribute is pornographic right she's 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 kind of uh, looking at Susan Sontag's idea and gazing at images of violence um, Susan Sontag was a very famous sort of writer, philosopher, critic. She wrote about sort of photography, most of all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and her th- her th- her thing was basically like saying, we say it's necessary to look at images of war, etc., because they will help prevent war. But so far, they haven't helped prevent war. Um, so mm. they they just serve to kind of titillate. Yeah. You know. Um, and uh, Wendelin compares. The Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon to Deep Throat. Um, I don't agree with that. No. Um, because that was because Deep Throat was created as pornography, right? It was supposed yeah. to be pornography. It's sexploitation. It's sexploitation, exactly. Um, but the Maiden Tribute was even if people, you know, may, maybe there are people out there who find it pornographic, but that was not mm. its intention. So I'm gonna say no. I think intentions matter in this regard. You know, I'm taking yeah. that kind of I think, yeah, taking the more like Kantian approach maybe. But yeah, I, I do think there is a difference in that way. Um it has had kind of a pornographic impact. Um its descriptions of padded rooms used to yeah. stifle the excessive screams of the tortured victims of lust and brutality is quite gratuitous um, and it was actually yeah. appropriated into the works of a lot of erotic writers, mostly French um, using a using a trope nicknamed sadism anglais uh... There's a, I've got a list of writers here Denunzio, Merbeau it's quite sedean mm. it's it's you know, uh, philosophy in the bedroom. I think in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not unreminiscent of that. Yeah. Um, but again, it was written for very different reasons. So I'd I'd say it, I'd say it was a grey area. Yeah, I mean, when something isn't written with 
with the intention of being pornographic, but is then co-opted and made pornographic. Which happens, yeah. Yeah, it's not the fault of the creator because that wasn't the creator's intention. It's the fault of the consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how you consume media. It's like people... I mean, I hate to bring it up and I feel cursed for doing it. But the Wunzler was not created with the intention of being How fucking dare you bring up... Two thousand and what year? Two thousand thirteen Tumblr. It's the first thing I could think of. Okay. I hate it so much. Thank you. But if you think of it like that, it wasn't created with that intention. But people got their dirty, grubby little hands on it, disgusting little hands on it, and turned it into something horrible. Same with like My Little Pony. I was literally about to say My Little Pony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get like I, I get like my fight or flight. Is activated whenever I see like a drawing from My Little Pony. Now I'm like, yeah, you know, what I mean? which is a shame because I've seen it and it's it's pretty cute. Yeah, it's a cute show for children. That's what that's why. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. My brain just connects it to horrible things. Now. Yeah, my brain's like horrible stuff, alt right porn. When I see a My Little Pony, which is terrible, <laughs> oh, but god. there we have it. Um, yeah. I could. You got to admit the way Stead writes. Um, he was trying to create outrage and you know maybe yeah. by you like so um one of my favorite things about it is he describes sort of the customers as um he has them as monsters he actually describes them as yeah minotaurs or minotaurs i've heard, ah. it, I've heard it pronounced both ways um you know to yeah. kind of continue the mythological thing because uh the, mm-hmm. the reason it's called the the main tribute of modern babylon is because the the idea that um maidens in babylon would be sacrificed yeah you know, as as tributes, um, and that these hmm. um these girls were being you know sacrificed to these minotaurs nowadays, but in a completely yeah. different way. But also, looking at when you're looking at his language, you yeah. do have to compare it to like literature of the time. This, I mean, to us yes. it will seem gratuitous, but to to a Victorian reader, it was probably perfectly normal. Yeah, I don't know how erotic usage of a term like minotaur is or, or, no, or but was, I mean like but... the dramaticness yeah yeah I mean he's he was Victorian literature he I think he was trying to juxtapose it and maybe it ended up being too but I don't think that was his in... it was designed to shock and it did mm. um yeah and I don't. I mean, there's some things that are described as pornographic that are, but you know, like um, I go back to the Marquis de Sade for a second. Yeah. A lot of his stuff is pornographic, but it's not exactly like explicit. Oh no, no, it's very explicit, but it's not really something that is kind of. I don't know how to describe it. Um, Does it turn you on? Me specifically, no. Um, <laughs> I don't think it turns a lot of people on, to be honest, because it's got no. a lot of stuff in it. Like you know, it's got a lot of rape in it. It's got a lot of mm. uh, scatological stuff, um, Great. torture, other you know, just stuff that's. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's I'm gonna call it a grey area. Mm. You know. Okay. Um, but Gwendolyn actually makes another very good point, uh, which is a bit more easy that, that, that I did agree with. Um, that Stead and his crew do not really pay attention to the reasons why women and children might choose to enter yeah. prostitution, um, which yeah. we've which we've largely covered already. Oh yeah. But consequently, his long term cause is damaged. Stead mm. in in Maiden Tribute recounts an an encounter where he meets a sixteen year old going to earn two pounds for her virginity. Basically, uh, Stead offers yeah. her one pound if she remains Virgo intacta. 
And right. she turns him down, bursting into tears and saying, we are so poor. Uh, he uses yeah. this as evidence that she was too naive and innocent to really understand the value of her purity, but he doesn't really consider maybe she knows exactly how much one pound is worth and she knows how much two pounds yeah. is worth. She's only framed as a maiden, not as a potential labourer. Um, yeah. She may understand exactly what a week of sweatshop labour will get her. Um and yeah. as as Wendelin kind of puts it, Stead was so focused on the screams of the Virgin being violated that he couldn't hear the anguished cries of poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, in fact, Butler was one of the only people who seemed to really understand this and actually like fight mm. against embedded causes of sexual violence and prostitution. But He really seems to focus on the, the problem and not the root cause. The symptom and not the cause. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, we, we keep attacking symptoms, not causes. Poverty causes crime, poverty causes prostitution, poverty causes homelessness. Um, mm. But instead we try and eliminate prostitution, we try and eliminate crime, we try and eliminate homelessness. We're not really... Yeah. yeah. Um, and then wonder why it comes back, a, like... A why are these weeds growing back? Um, we've also got to consider the effects on journalism. The mm. upcoming Ripper murders would do pretty much the same thing. Uh, they happened three yeah. years later. Um, Seth reports were an early but potent example of a new journalism, which was not afraid of creating a news event rather than just reporting upon something. Um, yeah. One commentator, Roland Pezel, said it was the death knell of responsible journalism. And I mean, we're, mm. we're seeing a lot of irresponsible journalism nowadays. So... Yeah, we love kind of... Oh, we love it. ...being shocked. We love a, a narrative, even if that mm. narrative isn't true. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty... Yeah. I'd, whatever you think about this, <laughs> it definitely did what it's. It definitely achieved what it set out to do. Yeah. Um, if nothing else, if nothing else, it got rid of the thing. It got rid. I, I'm going to say upping the age of consent was a good idea. I'm going to. Oh, I'm going to come yeah. out and say. And also, uh, I don't know because the uh, the the situation that a lot of, for example, Jack the Ripper's victims were in was they were in a very vulnerable mm. situation because it was the brothels weren't allowed anymore. Um, you pretty much, yeah. you pretty much, if you're if you were a sex worker, you couldn't work indoors anymore. Yeah, you had to work on the. Street. Yeah, and that made you a lot more vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what my sort of you know conclusion. I don't really. <laughs> I do want to finish with a quote that Stead made okay. a speech um, in August 1885. He sort of remained very convinced by what, that what he did was right. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a man, <laughs> so... In this speech, he said, As long as these crimes can be committed in secret places of the world and can be done secretly and quietly, they will go on being done. They are being done. Yes, and when bishops write to me and say, You have done your work, done it, I have hardly begun it. I say that even now and every week since we published the first number of the maiden tribute to modern Babylon, when all of London has been ringing with the cry of the newsboys, when I see the Pall Mall Gazette in every street and in every hand, I say that I know, not as a matter of hearsay, but of absolute fact, that the deeds which we have exposed have been going on and are going on to this very moment. And, um... Yeah. That's the thing, though. It's Mm -hmm. still an issue, but a lot of it's been shifted to other countries where we really can't see yeah. it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Well, like you mentioned earlier, like the Thailand. Sweatshop, yeah. We don't have to... Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or the sex trade in Thailand. I actually read um, an article about a woman who 
was a retired uh, sex worker in Thailand, and she came from a small uh-huh. rural village, and she basically went to, I think it was Bangkok, I'm not 100% sure, um, mm-hmm. to work as a prostitute and she was actually quite well regarded by her family and like in her community mm. because she'd gone away and earned a lot of money yeah yeah and obviously um all of the issues i talked about still happen in the uk but you know stuff mm-hmm. like the the sweatshop labor and the stuff mm. um very much happens in other countries that provide us with goods and services yeah we've shipped it we've off, shipped it off. It's where we don't now. have to yeah. see it yeah mm-hmm so now it's not our fault. It's is, their, is their fault. problem. It's not happening in our. I mean, it is uh-huh. happening in our country, but you know. Yeah. I just yeah, it's 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 just been like a game of well, nothing's changed. Wow. Um, to, mm-hmm. do, doing this kind of research. I can sum up this episode with woof. <laughs> I know it's it it's a depressing yeah. topic. Um, but it's I think it's important yeah. to to discuss. Uh huh. <laughs> but you can tell, I think, from how often we're just kind of yikes. Where we're usually very talkative, where every so often we just stop and we're just like, oh, uh, God. <laughs> uh, dude, I need some I need some twisted strawberry to mm-hmm. wash the pain away. No sponsorship. I'm going to go and watch, like, several Sophia videos just to cheer myself up. What am I watching? Uh, I was watching... Oh, I've been hate-watching Charmed recently. I'll do that again. Interesting. Okay. It's the worst. I hate it. But whenever it's on, I'm like, it is oh, I'm just going to watch this whole episode. And then I sit there like... <laughs> Oh, watch another episode. <laughs> um, I'll probably do that to cheer myself up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's valid. But um, a lot of this is, like I say, this was from my dissertation research, and it's sort of yeah. related to because my whole thing is um, we don't need a, a Jack the Ripper museum. We need a museum that kind of discusses these issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't need whatever the. Fuck the Jennifer Ripper Museum. I've is been twice. I've been all. twice for research. I've paid to go in there twice. Did it ever get any better? No. You know what you should just do instead? Yeah. Go to the London Dungeons. I did go to the London Dungeons also for research. They have mm-hmm. a Ripper section. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But they have a Sweeney Todd section oh, as well, fun. which that I don't fun. get because it's fictional. Sh- shut up. <laughs> ja- I mean, Jack the Ripper's kind of fictional in the sense that. Yeah. Top hat cloak guy mm. wasn't real. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Yeah. Um, he, I, I, I find that fusion of reality and fiction and entertainment very fascinating, to be honest. Yeah, um, that's fair. But yeah. There's a whole lot more to this topic that I didn't even get into. because Again, I really recommend Judith Walkovitz if you can get a hold of her books because they are... Mm. And she connects a lot of stuff together, including the Ripper incident and the Maiden Tribute, a lot better than, than I have. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking we could maybe... I've been playing with this idea uh-huh. of maybe making like a like a WordPress or mm-hmm. a... I don't know if Blogspot still exists, but that kind of thing. Uh, I missed 2008 too. Because... Yeah, we, you know, because we have to kind of condense what we're talking about into... Oh, yeah. Hopefully under two yes. hours. Um, we need to at least list some of our sources, because... I, yeah, yeah, I, I had absolutely. a lot of great stuff. Um, just mm. old documents you can find floating around online. And, um, so we might, we might yeah, do that. Yeah, and also it's quite frustrating because some of the sources I use are academic, which are obviously not that widely mm. accessible. Um, so mm-hmm. to be able to share some of that information with a wider audience would be would be great um 
stay yeah, stay within a legal. Li- Although I don't know, most academics I know are also pissed off about how expensive it is to, like um, <laughs> the, like the, the the chap who will hopefully be my PhD supervisor. He just straight up sent me a PDF of his book, which is like worth one hundred and eighty quid. Just like here it is, for, here it is. For free. It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. Good, good. Um, but I think we should should wrap up yes. there for this mm-hmm. evening. Um, as hinted in the episode, mm-hmm. the next episode is kind of a part two yes. of this, um, where I You're in charge. will be taking you through uh, the Cleveland Street scandal. This is a good one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a good one. I don't know. I don't know that much about it, so I'm. I'm. I. I. I, I know uh-huh. kind of the basic stuff, but I'm looking forward to being taught about mm. it. That's gonna be good. Yay! Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in that case, we will see you next time. Next time. Good night. Good night. Good night.